G'day everybody, my name is Adam Draycott and you're watching the online ministry of St. Augustine's Anglican Church in Varel. Uh, this ministry has been prepared for the fifth Sunday in Lent, the 21st of March. Our sentence of scripture comes from Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, defend my cause against an ungodly people, from deceitful and unjust men. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge.
we come to the ministry of God's Word. Our Bible readings for today are Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. Psalm 51, verses 1 to 10. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 to 9. And our preaching passage is John chapter 12, verses 20 to 33. If you're able to take a moment and read through John 12, verses 20 to 33, uh, that would be enormously helpful. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, that you speak to us. Uh, we pray that as we look at John 12, you would show us the glory and wonder that is your son, Jesus. Lead us in the way of repentance and faith. We might grow in Christ. We ask for the help of your Holy Spirit, uh, that we might glorify you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Mum was visiting Inverell a few years back and... Uh, we're at Campbell Park. Campbell Park is a, an outdoor area. It's got a, an amphitheatre. It's near the river. It's quite lovely. and yeah, It's the evening. There's a stage. There's music. Uh, there are dignitaries that have attended this event. Um, even Barnaby was there, Barnaby Joyce. And it was a little poignant at the time because I think he'd just been dumped as the National Party leader. And here he was turning up to a crowded public event putting on a brave face uh, i actually I thought, wow that's something uh, the event concluded and what do you think my mum did she's taken off she's making a beeline for barnaby at speed she's like 80 plus at this time usain bolt speed mum got her audience with the dumped deputy prime minister of australia now, country New South Wales, it's how it rolls in the bush, isn't it? Our MPs are fairly accessible. But what about here in Jerusalem, in this passage? Passover is busy. Jesus is wanted. And he is in demand, big time. People are clamouring to see him. And so we come to verses 20 to 22. Now, there was some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip told, to, uh, told Jesus. Now, now these Greeks, uh, they could be Greek speakers. So they might be Greek-speaking Jews, or they could be just Gentiles. Uh, they're not local, these guys. That's the point. Uh, these are outsiders. They're not Jerusalemites. They're from beyond, beyond Jerusalem. Uh, what's their request? Notice the Greek speakers come to the bloke with the Greek name, Philip, and they want to see Jesus. And Jesus, as I've already described, it's a big deal. He's wanted and he's popular. And so access isn't easy. Uh, why? One, I just said it, Jesus is wanted. Uh, wanted in terms of they, they want to arrest him and ultimately, you know, execute him. Verse, the other second reason, the other reason is verse 19. It's because of the Lazarus thing, verse 19, the whole world 
has gone after Jesus. That's the perspective of the Pharisees. Verse 19 of chapter 12. So the Greeks, what do they do? They triangulate. Now, they're not as brave as my mom, clearly. Uh, they go to Philip in verse 21. Then in verse 22, Philip goes to Andrew. And then Andrew and Philip both go to Jesus together. Why? I don't know. Uh, but they go to get Jesus. And what happens? Jesus responds and Jesus says, Greeks, Greeks, oppa. Is that what he says? No. Does Jesus go, Greeks, you beauty, bring on the spanakopita. It's Lent after all. Bit of lemon juice. Mwah, beautiful. No, that's not what happens. It's like Jesus, uh, he hits the go button. Jesus kind of looks at his watch, not that he had one, but he, he goes, it's time. It's suddenly time for something. Now, this is important in John's Gospel. Prior to chapter 12, Jesus has been saying, my time has not yet come. It's not yet time. He tells his mum that in chapter 2. Uh, mum says, boy, the wedding's getting a bit dry. And Jesus says, mum, it's not my time. Uh, again, in chapter 7, verse 6, it's the hour has not come. It's not time. Chapter 7, verse 8 is the same. Chapter 7, verse 30, they try and lay hold uh, they try to get their hands on Jesus, but the John says, but it, it's not time. Uh, chapter 8, verse 20 is similar as well. Same kind of deal. They're trying to lay hands on him and arrest him, but his hour had not yet come. It's not time for that. They can't lay hands on Jesus. It's not time. Um, maybe if you're playing ultimate tag, you want Jesus on your team. You can't lay hands on him. I don't know, but there it is. But in chapter 12, yeah, he's going to get caught. Chapter 12, the hour has come. It's time for people. They're going to get me. So let's go. Let's do this. That's that's kind of what's the, the scene here. Uh, verse 23, time for what? What is this going to look like? Well, verse 23, Jesus replied, the hour has come. See, it's time. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, let's think about that word glorified. To be glorified is to be, at the most very basic level, to be glorified is to be seen. Being seen is a good start, an important part of being glorified. But there's a sense of honour about being glorified too, isn't there? Or praise or worship, to be made known, to be exalted, to be magnified, to be lifted up, all speak to this word glorified. Uh, as I was preparing, I was thinking, for some reason, old footballers came to my mind. Uh, those footballers, when they have their milestone games or when they retire, and what happens? They get lifted up. They get put on the human chair and they get carried off the field and they're lifted up. Everyone can see them. They're recognisable. Uh, and people cheer them and clap them and praise them. Uh, and their head and shoulders above everybody else, quite literally, as they get carried and cheered off the field. That's a picture of being glorified. Jesus is saying, time has come for that, to be glorified. But what is it going to look like? Jesus doesn't play football. He's not going to get carried off a field. What does it look like? How will we see Jesus, the Son of Man, glorified? Well, let's look at verse 24. Is there a clue here? Very truly, I tell you, 
Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. Well, of course it does. You got a bit of seed in your hand, and that if it doesn't fall, that's it just stays a seed, right? Unless it unless it falls. Verse twenty four. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. All the farmers are going, yeah, of course we know this. Of course you do. Seed needs to be planted in the ground. It's got to be buried. And once it's buried, it'll disappear. And the seed itself, over time, will actually become no more, won't it? You can go looking for the seed later. You're not going to find it. Uh, But in its place will stand something that produces a multitude of seeds. Something that has life and that gives life. Many, many, many more seeds that come from the one seed. And Jesus is saying, you want to see me? You want to see me? You want to see me in all my glory? Then I'm the seed. See me fall. See me die. See me buried. That's it. Uh, Later in verse 27, as Jesus uh, previews his death here, uh, his heart is troubled. That's a prayer that echoes Gethsemane, verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? See, he's going to die. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. It's time. It's for this very reason. It's time. And so verse 28, Father, glorify your name. The cross is going to show the glory of Christ. But also the cross is going to show the glory of the Father. And the Father agrees with that. Look at verse 28b. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. He has glorified it and he will glorify it. He has because Jesus is God with skin on. Chapter 1 verse 14 tells us that. He has because Jesus shows us the glory of the Father. Chapter 1, verse 14 is very plain. Jesus shows us what God is like in flesh. And he will because the cross reveals the glory of the Son. Verse 23. It's what's coming. You see it again in verse 31. You see verse 31. He's hung up about the time again. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Gee, that's interesting, isn't it? You know, ironically, it's the Jews and the Romans that think they're judging Jesus when they string him up on the cross. Uh, Can I say that the cross of Christ, there's no greater judgment on the world, no greater judgment on humanity than the cross. That humanity would think that they could execute God is an indictment. It's a judgment on all of us. Judgment is coming on the world. that's the irony and the prince of the world will be driven out so the devil's days are numbered it's the beginning of the end for the devil as his power is bound Uh, and verse 32 and I when I am lifted up from the earth I'll draw all people to myself he said this to show the kind of death he's going to die Yep, that's what it says. It takes us back to the cross. Jesus is lifted up. 
And so back to the question of the Greeks. You want to see Jesus? Jesus says, well, it's go time, fellas. It's time to die. You want to see Jesus in all his glory? Just wait until I'm lifted up on the cross and see there what is a symbol of shame and weakness and humiliation. But see for Jesus, he's saying, as he dies, it's going to be glorious. It's a symbol of his glory. He's going to show forth his glory. It is at the cross that he's glorified, as is the Father, because they're one. Now, why? Why is the cross so glorious? You know the answer. You know it's because sin is paid for there. Our sin is washed away by the blood of the Lamb on the cross. That is glorious. Why else is it glorious? Because all the judgment that was coming to you lands on Jesus. If that's not glorious, I don't know what is. God's wrath is turned aside. That is glorious. Evil is bound. The devil's put in a headlock. That's glorious. Death loses its sting. That is glorious. And it all happens through a cross, which is actually the symbol of shame and weakness and disgrace and humiliation. Jesus will use that for the ultimate triumph over sin, death and evil. That is glorious. Do you see it? Do you see Jesus in all his glory on the cross? Do you see the love of the Father here in all its glory as you think about the cross? Do you see the measure of God's love for you, the measure of the love of the Son? Do you see the lengths God goes to to meet our need, our human need, such as his love? Do you see God loves you abundantly? He gives out of his riches Seriously, what is our response to that? What are you doing with that? But there's something else about the glory of Jesus that maybe you missed that we need to come back to. And yeah, the glory of Jesus, go to the cross, absolutely. But there's another aspect of Christ's glory that you cannot miss. It's a bit like there are two prongs to this glory talk. One is the cross. We've talked about that. There's something else, a bit like barbecue forks in your steak. You can think about the glory of God when you next time you have a barbecue, but there it is. What's this other prong about? What is it? Well, here's the answer. It's you. What? Look at verse 23 again. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... It remains only a single seed, but if it dies, which Jesus did, it produces many, many seeds. Here's a question. Did Jesus die for you? Did Jesus die for you? If the answer is yes, if Jesus died for you, are you not then one of the many? Let me ask you again. Did Jesus die for you? If Jesus died for you, are you not then one of the many? And the answer has to be yes. Yes, I am one of the many. Praise God for that. And what is the path of the many for for whom Jesus died? Verse 25. You ready? This is a bit, yep. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. 
while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. Luke chapter 9 verse 23 is similar. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and uh, daily and follow me. See that? You take up your cross daily. Not a one-time event. You take up your cross daily and you follow Jesus. That is the path of the Christian. The path of the Christian is to die. Not like Jesus, though. Uh, we die to self. We die to sin. We die to our old nature. We count ourselves dead to the old stuff, the old life, but alive to Christ. That's Romans 6. If the path of the first seed is to die, that others might have life, then it follows that every other seed that follows will also die, that others might have life. Again, such death is not a penalty for sin. We're not paying the penalty for someone's sin and we're not wearing God's judgment. No, Jesus did that. Jesus did that, but it is death none, nonetheless. We're to die to self. We're to die to the sin in our life, our selfish ambition. We're to die to that. And here's the path of the Christian. We, we died a self-glorification that we might live to glorify Christ. How's that? And this is how the Father is glorified and this is how the Son is glorified. It's through the life and the witness of Christ on the cross. Yes, we got that, prong number one. But also his church, prong number two. His body, his people, as they live out the way of the cross, as they follow in the way of the cross, as we willingly count the cost, Willingly lay down our lives in loving service of others. Dying to self for the good of others. Not living selfishly, not living selfishly, but selflessly and sacrificially. Not living lives full of selfish ambition where we seek to please self with my wants and my needs. We live to please God. We live lives of praise to God. We exalt him. We make his name known. We glorify him with godly living, Christ-like lives. We glorify him by preaching the cross. We lift up his name above all names by pointing people to the cross. And of course, look, this is what Jesus is doing here. Even before his death, he's able to do that. No one did it better than Jesus. And so it is in the steps of Jesus that we follow. Jesus died so that many might live. That's our path too. It's the path of the cross. It's the path of loving, sacrifice and service, which means any suffering we experience, any suffering or crisis that we're involved in, where we get to bear witness to Christ, express our trust and dependence on him. Anytime we do that, it's never for nothing. If God is being glorified in that, it is never for nothing. Now, this is important because our world doesn't like hard stuff. Our world doesn't like hard stuff. We want easy street, the world. But the Christian 
will do it. The Christian will do it. Why? Because Christ did it first. The Christian will do it because Christ did it first. So we, we follow. We're just following. And it's all to the glory of the Father. Verse 32, at the cross, Jesus will draw people to himself. It's magnetic. Again, that's you. You're, you are the people that have been drawn to Jesus and his cross. And so here's that question again. You want to see Jesus? You want to be like the Greeks looking for Jesus? Firstly, Jesus says, see me in all my glory on the cross. Secondly, in our see my church, follow in my footsteps as they take up their cross and follow me. Hear the church, preach. See the church, live out the cross. They live and breathe the gospel and that is all to the glory of the Father. Implication, preach the gospel. It's a no-brainer. Keep pointing people to the cross. Another implication, as the text shows us, is that as we glorify the Father, we walk in the light. We're to not let the darkness overtake us. We're to walk in the light. Verse 35, whoever walks in the darkness doesn't know where they're going. No kidding. Verse 36, believe in the light so that you become children of the light. Let me finish with this. All over northern New South Wales are silos. Every, every country town's got them, just about. And some of them are painted with elaborate mural. <laughs> some of them are painted with elaborate murals, uh, which is a nice little boon to country uh, town tourism. And in those silos, though, what do they store? What did they store when they were operational? What were they built for? What was their purpose? To store seed. What happens if light gets into those silos? What happens if light gets in? <laughs> Tanya, you, my wife used to work for Grain Corp, and I asked her that question, and she went, mmm, bad. Because the seed sprouts, doesn't it? You already knew that. The seed begins to grow when it's touched by the light. It's not what you want in a silo. It's not what you want if you work for Grain Corp. But can I say it's exactly, exactly what you want for your church family. The first seed is Jesus. The hour came for him to be glorified. He died and now there, were, now there are many and it is glorious and we are counted among the many. And that is glorious. Do we see that light will always have its way? Do we see that light shines in the darkness and now the many are many upon many upon many, which includes you? Our world needs to see Jesus. Will the world see Christ in you? Brothers and sisters, let us show the world our Saviour. Let us keep preaching the cross and let's keep living this out as people of the body of Christ, people who walk not in darkness, but have been touched by the light. And may all of that to be God's glory, to his honour and to his praise. Amen.